open to the book of Genesis chapter number 14. I don't want to preach a long time tonight. There was a visiting preacher at a church, and before he got up to preach, pastor called him into the office and says, hey, tonight when you get up there to preach, um, I want you to stumble all over your words while you're reading your scripture text, and then um, halfway through your message, I, I want you to just get really confused and forget where you were going, and, and, and then... Um, just kind of veer off into some random subjects that don't have anything to do with what you're talking about. And, and at the end, it's kind of a confusing ending. And then, you know, then the musicians just come up and save you. And the preacher said, well, I can't do that. The pastor said, well, why not? That's what you did last time you were here. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Hopefully that's not me tonight. Genesis chapter 15, not Genesis chapter 14. See, I'm already doing what I talked about. It's like a nightmare coming to pass. Genesis chapter 15, and we're going to read a few verses here. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward the heaven and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and it counted it unto him for righteousness. Going down, verses 7 through 11, it says, And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of the Ur of the Chaldees. To give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And he said unto him, Take me an heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these, and divided them in the midst, and laid each piece one against another. But the birds divided he not. Then verse 11, And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And tonight I'm going to preach on this title, Protecting the Promise. Protecting the Promise. If you would put your Bibles down, let's lift our hand one more time. God, tonight we come into your presence. Just reaching, God, for strength, reaching for peace, reaching for joy. God, there's a lot of needs tonight. God, I just pray that you would step into this place and be a help, God. And, Lord, just confirm your word in our lives tonight, Jesus. We need you more than anything else. We need to hear from you, God. You are our Father. You're our provider. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated in Jesus' name. Amen. Thankful tonight to be in God's house. How have you enjoyed, Brother Jordan Johnson's message last Sunday? Hey, he's my boss, so I got to give him the shout out. <laughs> no, but you know, as I was listening to him preach, I know that that wasn't within, you know, maybe his, his desires, but it just showed me how great of a pastor we have. Even tonight as I came in and I seen Brother Bryant Underwood going up here and, and preaching. How many of you enjoyed Brother Bryant Underwood tonight? Hey, great job. 
You know what that tells me is this is not a church that's going to sit on talented people and just try to just push them to the side, but, but we're willing to grow, we're willing to develop, we're willing to move forward. Hey, let's have revival. There's some preachers in this house that haven't preached their first message yet. Hey, there's some missionaries in this house that haven't even been on a plane to another country yet. I just want to encourage somebody. Let's have revival. Let's see a vision of new beginnings in somebody's life, a call of God. Amen. I'm believing it in Jesus' name. I'm believing for revival to break out. Before I preach, I just want to tell you a few things that have been happening in our church, Revival Center. Thank you for everybody. More than anything, we need your prayers and just keep us in your prayers. But today, uh, our service this morning, we had 13 people, not including my, my family. We had 13 new people from knocking on doors and just telling them about the church. One of them was a guy, he used to be, he used to be married uh, to the daughter of an apostolic pastor way back, I think, in the 80s. And he, he got out of church, and he, he got divorced, and he got married again. He got married to just a good Baptist lady. And today in our altar call, a Baptist lady had her hands up with tears coming down her face, seeking the Holy Ghost. Baptists don't do that, but when they feel the Holy Ghost, they, hey, their hands will go up. And when they feel the Holy Ghost, they'll want it. They'll want it. They'll want it. Had another door I knocked on, I think it was last week, I knocked on the door and this guy told me, he said, you couldn't have knocked on my door at a better time. I said, why is that? He said, I was just reading the book of Matthew. He said, I, I just finished my master's degree in world religion. He said, and I'm just trying to figure out which way I want to go. He said, I've learned all these religions, but I don't know which one I believe. He, he, he just told me last couple weeks he went to the synagogue, and then he said he went to the Mormon church, and he said he, he went to another Trinitarian church, and, and he said, I, I want to go to your church. And we, we had a one-hour Bible study on Friday, and I was able to tell him about the oneness of God and the mighty God in Christ, and I was able to tell him about speaking in tongues, and I wasn't afraid of it because he had a college education. It's for everybody. In the book of Acts chapter 2, they spoke in tongues. In the book of Acts chapter 8, they spoke in tongues. In the book of Acts chapter 10, they spoke in tongues. In the book of Acts chapter 19, they spoke in tongues. And in the church today, we speak in tongues. I'm not ashamed of it. I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. Because it says in Acts chapter number 10, they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. And they knew. They knew. They knew that they had received the Holy Ghost. You may be seated. I went through and I was telling about Acts chapter 8. I said, you know, we, a lot of people just go to Romans chapter 10, and, and Romans chapter 10 is a letter to a church that was already established. And they go to Romans chapter 10, it says, if thou shalt believe in thine heart and confess with thy mouth that Jesus is Lord, thou shalt be saved. And I said, but do you know in Romans chapter 8, it said, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, that he is none of his. And when you go to the book of Acts chapter 8, uh, and the book of Acts chapter 7, uh, Paul and, and the Sanhedrin were killing all these Christians, and, and Stephen was stoned, and so they had to just scatter. Somebody that scattered was Philip. Philip was an evangelist, and he went to Samaria, and he started preaching the kingdom of God. He started preaching about the name of Jesus Christ. It says they believed. It says they were baptized. It said they followed and beheld all the miracles and wonders which were done. It said, but then they sent down Peter and John to pray for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet the Holy Ghost was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And it says that when Simon saw through the land 
laying on of the hands that the Holy Ghost was given, he said, what can I give you that I can buy it and do this myself? The Holy Ghost is not just a good, warm-hearted feeling you get when you lift your hands and repeat a prayer, but in the book of Acts, they knew they had received the Holy Ghost when they spoke in other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them the ability. We still believe in speaking in tongues. Oh, come on, I'm thankful. I was able to tell him about the mighty God in Jesus Christ. Hey, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and have given unto us the word of reconciliation. There's only one God, and that one God from the beginning didn't have a body. He didn't have a form. Jesus said, no man has seen God at any time except the only begotten of the Father. Jesus was the fulfillment, and Jesus is the ultimate representation of who God is. He's the image, 2 Corinthians 4.4, of the invisible God. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's an old Pentecostal song. It's all in him. It's all in him, the fullness of the Godhead, and it's all in him hallelujah I'm thankful today for the doctrine oh I'm thankful today what the Bible teaches if you come to church don't just come for a good feeling but come to find out what the Bible actually says because at the end of your life it's not going to matter if you love the Lord or if you felt good about it but did you obey his scripture did you do what the Bible says well, I've already been to the water, and I've already been baptized. I've already been converted. Hallelujah. Is there anybody that's thankful about the salvation in your life? I'm just excited about the doctrine. Amen. Don't forsake the doctrine. Hold on to the word of God. Amen. I'm just thankful about revival. Just thankful. I, I'm just so excited about what Brother Jordan Johnson is going to be doing. Amen. I want to see new souls come into the kingdom of God. This is a big city. You know, somebody's telling me about metropolis or metropolis, however, I don't even know that word. But it's the population that's actually the city and then the surrounding outside areas within driving distance. And Bakersfield, within driving distance, is 909,000 people. That's a lot of people. 909,000 people. We got a lot of work to do, church, but we're going to reach them one soul at a time, one Bible study at a time, one Sunday school class at a time, one bus route at a time. Hey, one greeting at a time. We're going to do it. We're going to see it. We're going to have revival. I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. I heard a story about a pastor. He was in the grocery store, and, and the cash register, he was doing a good job. The cashier was doing a really good job. He said, man, I want to give this guy a church card. Some of you probably heard this story before. He said, I want to give this guy a church card. And the guy said, no, I can't take it. He said, why not? He pulled out his little apron. He had six of them already in his hand. He said, I've been getting these all day long. He went, that same pastor went to the bank, and he, he went to cash a check, and they didn't even ask him for his ID or anything like that. They said, what's the deal? You don't need my ID? She said, no, I got all these church cards. I know who you are, pastor. I don't need to see your ID. Hey, let's get out there, and let's invite some people to church. Uh, let's have revival. You don't just have to knock on doors. You can hand cards to people at the drive-thru. You can give a card to somebody at the bus station, at the gas station. Hey, at work, you can leave stuff. Just let people know about the church, and God will draw them to come. It's not our job to grow the seed. It's our job to sow the seed. It's our job to plant it and God will give the increase. Just put in the effort and do the work and God will give us a harvest of new souls. <laughs> promises, promises, promises. I'm talking tonight about protecting the promises. 
Abram had a lot of promises on his life when God told him in Genesis chapter 12, get out of your father's house, get away from your kindred, get away from your country and go into a land that I will show you. He had promises. Everybody say faith. If you're going to receive the promise, it's going to take some faith. 247 times your Bible mentions the word faith. Faith is defined as a strong belief or trust in something or someone, often without concrete proof or evidence. This belief may be based on personal experience, intuition, or the testimony of others. To have faith often involves a willingness to take risks, to let go of control, and to accept uncertainty. Faith can inspire people to take action and to make positive changes in their life based on the belief that things are going to work out for the best. And tonight, talking about faith, we can come to this place and get ready in our Sunday best for church. We can read our Bibles. We can give in our tithe and our offering. We can sing every song. We can jump when it's time to jump. We can clap when it's time to clap and run when it's time to run. But in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. God has given us the recipe to have revival. God has given us the way to have breakthroughs every time we come into this house and it's faith. When I pray, I'm not just praying because it's time to pray. I'm praying because I got faith in the God that I'm praying to. Come on somebody, do you still believe in the power of faith that if you will ask and you will seek and you will knock that it shall be given unto you. Oh faith, 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 just a little bit of faith. You don't need a whole lot. Just use what you got. I'm thankful for faith. It's faith that can move the mountains. It's faith that keeps us going forward. It's faith. But Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 to rain on your parade a little bit here and break down the Bible a little clearer gives us levels of faith. Because the first point says, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. One level of faith is just believing that God exists. Some say Thomas Jefferson took his Bible and everywhere there was a miracle. He either crossed it out or took out the whole page if he had to. Because he didn't believe in a God that was still actively involved in the world. He, he thought that, that God just created, God established, and now everything was left just to unfold however it would unfold. And that's called deism. Deism, just the belief that God's there but he's not involved. There's also atheism, which we probably all know is that, you know, there's no God and it's just unknowable and who really, who really knows. There's a, a guy I was talking to on outreach at his door was telling me about new churches popping up. Atheist Christian churches. Atheist Christian churches popping up. And I said, what is that? He said, well, what they do, they take the Bible and they, they get the wisdom and they get the, the good knowledge and they get the Proverbs and they get all the, 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 the morals and those kind of things. But they take out everything else and they just get the, the standard of living and, and all that kind of stuff. And they don't believe in God. They just want to be good people. Hey, but we need to believe more than just that God's word is, is good for us, but we need to believe that God is still working in our life. We need to believe that God's still a healer, that God's still a deliverer, that God is still faithful. Hey, he's not just out there somewhere in the cosmos, but he's right here tonight waiting for you to reach out to him with faith, and he will answer your prayer. He will change your situation. He will speak peace to your storm. God is still involved. God is still involved. Let me just preach to somebody. You think God's not involved? God is still involved 
We can believe there's a God, but we, do we believe that God is in this place working in our lives? We can believe that God's a healer, but do we believe that God can heal us? We believe that God's a savior, but do we believe that God can save us? Do we believe God can save this city? Do we believe that God can save our family and our friends and our coworkers? Come on, do we believe it? Do we believe it? It can happen because God is still involved. Oh, come on, James chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith, the prayer of faith, the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they shall be forgiven them. I wonder right now all across this house, if as a church body we can lift up the prayer of faith. God, I believe it. God, I believe it. There's healing in the house. There's deliverance in the house. Come on. There's cancer tonight that can be healed. There's broken bones that can be brought back together. There's minds that can be restored. There's families that can be fixed. There's marriages that can be mended. Come on. Let's lift up the prayer of faith, church. Do you have faith to believe it? Oh, are you Oh, let me preach to somebody right now. There's some stuff you had faith in at one time, but you don't have faith in anymore. It's time to dig up some old faith. It's time to dig up some old promises because the same God that's the author is the finisher. He didn't just start it, but he's going to be with you all the way. Come on, let's lift up our voice for a few moments. Jude 1.20, but you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, faith in whatever we do. Oh, if I'm cleaning, I'm cleaning in faith. If I'm vacuuming the carpet at the church, I'm doing it in faith. If I'm knocking on doors, I'm knocking in faith. If I'm working in the sound booth, I'm doing it by faith that what I'm doing is going to make an impact in this city and in this community and in this church. We've got to have faith. Without faith, we are nothing. Without faith, you can't even please God. Faith in everything we do. And what I'd like to do tonight, but I can't, I'd like to just get on the plane today in this message and talk about faith and keep it at faith and land it in faith. But you know what I find out a lot of times, like I've already talked about, is sometimes we get discouraged in our faith. Faith is, seems to have an optimism about it. Great faith, expectancy, thinking that something's going to happen, like right there, right there, right there, something right now. Hey, it's going to happen next week. It's going to happen tomorrow, about this time tomorrow, about this time next year. And we're believing for something to happen quickly and rapidly. But you know, sometimes the day that God gives us the promise is a long way off from the moment that we actually receive it. Huh? In the book of Hebrews chapter 11, it says that some of these died in faith, receiving not the promise. There are some promises in our life that are so big, we may never even see the fulfillment in our lifetime. Huh? I wonder today if Brother Terry could imagine the impact and, and, and the anointing that's upon this church today. Hey, seeing all that we've done, I just want to tell you, your dreams and your visions may be bigger than you. We've got to have faith. But my question is tonight, what do we do? Brother Bradford talked a lot about back in the day when I was doing a lot of new convert Bible studies and we were talking about divorce and he gave me different Bible studies about divorce, working with people on divorce and one of the big points of divorce was there's the ideal and then there's the reality. The, the ideal is that two people stay together forever and there's nothing that ever happens to that because God said for this cause shall a man cleave to his wife, they shall become one flesh. He said don't let man tear asunder what God has put together. God's will is never for there to be a divorce. But what about the people that come to church that already been divorced? What about the broken lives that come and there's no way to go back and fix it? 
What about the things that are too far gone and there's no way to repair it? I heard a story, this is an old Pentecostal story about this fellowship meeting, and it was kind of, I don't know, southern cowboy type preaching, but they were talking about horses and stuff, and he said, what if, what if somebody stole a horse, they ought to they return that horse, and you know, if they, if, if they, uh, if they stole some money, they ought to steal, they ought to repair, uh, return that money, and they said, but and if he took a watermelon, he ought to return that watermelon, and somebody from the crowd said, what if he ate the watermelon? <laughs> Hey, there's some of us that have done some things that there's no way to undo it. There's no way to fix it. There's no way to repair it. But the blood of Jesus, uh, it reaches to the highest mountain and it flows to the lowest valley. And the blood of Jesus covers the sins that we can't repair. That's mercy. That's grace. That's the forgiveness of God. All things pass away. All things become new. You don't got to go back and fix everything you've ever done. Just trust in the mercy and grace of God and move forward. You don't need a divorce. You need to move forward in the mercy and grace of God. Hey, you don't need to leave. You need to commit and just get deeper into the word of God and deeper into prayer and get your life right. Get your heart right. The ideal and the reality ideal and the reality talking about faith the ideal is that man we'll pray on Sunday night and it's like Amazon Prime overnight shipping we'll get it tomorrow morning you know it's like wow they must already knew what I wanted this seemed like it was already in town ready to go at the distribution center it just turned around so quick and got to me that's the ideal but the reality is there's some people right now that have been praying the same prayer for 15 years 20 years 25 years some of you have been praying for backsliders for 30 years 40 years who knows how long just praying and praying and praying and praying. So my, my message tonight is to answer a few questions. What do we do when we have faith, but our prayers still aren't answered the way we wanted them to be answered? Second question, what do we do when things happen to us that we don't understand? Because even in faith, bad things can still happen. Even in faith, the best of plans can still fall apart. Even in faith, people that we love can walk away from us and leave us abandoned. Even in faith, valuable things can be lost. Even in faith, I'm not talking about backsliders. I'm not talking about the drug addicts or the tweakers or whoever else we think about. I'm talking about good, faithful people, the righteous, those that are faithful in their giving, faithful in their prayer life, those that don't miss a service. They take their kids to every camp and they're faithful to the things of God. They'll be here for work day and they'll, they'll be here for Bible study. They'll be here for choir practice. They'll be here for whatever needs to be done. Those kind of people that are faithful to the things of God are still going to go through some dark valleys and still going to have to fight some battles they don't understand. I'm talking about the reality of life tonight. What do we do when things happen to us that we don't understand? Cheryl McGinnis. Cheryl McGinnis is someone who lived through one of the worst situations imaginable. One morning in the late summer of 2001, Cheryl's husband Tom went off to work before sunrise early in the morning. A few hours later, she woke up and took her kids to school and settled into her normal morning routine. Then her phone started ringing off the hook, one call after another. The first call was a friend asking if Tom went to work that day. Phone rang again and again with everyone asking the same question, and where's Tom and did he go to work that day? She knew something was going on, but she had no idea what it was until finally she asked someone, what's happening? Why are you calling me? And a friend finally responded, a plane has been hijacked and it's headed for New York City. And it was that fateful morning of September 11th in 2001, and Cheryl's husband Tom was a pilot for American Airlines. For hours, his family and friends arrived at her home. Cheryl was unable to get a response from anyone who knew where Tom was or what was happening. But when the chief pilot of the airline showed up at her doorstep, she learned exactly what had happened. 
American Airline Flight 11, on which Tom had been one of the pilots on board, was the first plane that crashed into the World Trade Center. Tom and everyone else on the plane that day were now dead. Facing such a terrible tragedy, Cheryl McGinnis coped with her loss the best that she could. She pulled herself together through the heartbreak and started to plan her husband's funeral and even grew the courage to speak at the funeral, something completely out of character for her. She continued taking care of her children and learned how to run her household as a single parent. Three years after the death of her husband, she wrote a book called Beauty Beyond the Ashes. And what I want to take away from this is what she said next. She says, as unfair, unreasonable, and impossible as it seems, we still have work to do after tragedies occur. We still have roles to fill. We still have responsibilities to our families. Fair or not, that is just the reality. Life may pause for a moment, but we can never allow it to stop. No matter what happens to us, church, we can never stop moving forward. Our ability to overcome our battles is connected to the realization of the purpose that lies within our future. There's some things that you need to keep fighting for. There's some things you need to keep working at. There's some things that may not be coming together right now, but you just keep going. You just keep going. You just keep fighting. You just keep struggling. I'd rather struggle and fail than give up and never get what I need. I'll tell you tonight, just keep struggling because the struggle is better than quitting. I said the struggle is better than quitting. Oh, come on, somebody. Let's worship the Lord. The struggle is better than quitting. Somebody once said, if you're half backslid, worship God with a half that's not backslid. You've got to live for God. You've got to make it through this. You've got to make it through this. You've got to make it through this because there's still some purpose and there's still some value in your life. And the goodness of God is going to lead you. Hey, I just want to preach to somebody. Your future is going to be better than the past. The days ahead are going to be better than the days behind. The blessings of the Lord are going to be poured out if you'll just hold on. Hold on. Hold on. You still got purpose. Come on, let's pray for about 20 seconds. I'm not really interested in a sermon tonight. I'm more interested in encouraging somebody that's ready to give up. You still got purpose. Your family still has purpose. You going to work every day still has a purpose. You paying your bills still has a purpose. You don't give up and walk away when things get tough. You keep fighting. You keep fighting. You keep fighting because there's some things worth fighting for. And it's the promises of God. God bless you. you. May be seated. We got to keep moving forward, church. You're going to be battered. You're going to be bruised. You're going to be hurt. You're going to be slandered. There's going to be all kinds of things that are come against you, even though you were faithful to God the whole time, but you just keep going. You keep fighting. You don't let it get on you. You don't let it change who you are. You don't let it dictate your praise. You don't let it control who you are. You don't let it change your attitude. You just keep living for God. You keep speaking the word of faith. You wake up every morning and say, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. There's a lot of stuff I can complain about, but this is the day that the Lord has made, and I'm going to be glad in it. Purpose, purpose, purpose. Purpose is what drives someone to keep moving forward through the heartbreak, through the setbacks, through the discouragement. Our existence still has purpose. Our walk with God still has purpose. Our family and our children still have purpose. Coming to church still has a purpose. Being faithful still has a purpose. Staying involved still has a purpose. Hey, come on, somebody. Being in the ministry still has a purpose. You are doing something different in this world, and you're making a difference. Don't give up because you're discouraged. Hold on. Your answer is on the way. We've got to protect the promise, church. 
We can't let our disappointments become excuses to turn our back on God and to throw everything away. Tonight we're living for more than ourselves. Things are constantly going to come against this church, but we got to persevere with our walk with God with resilience. Resilience. You're not going to take me down. You're not going to destroy my family. Oh, come on, somebody. You know, sometimes we just talk to the Lord, but I wonder if we could talk to the enemy for a second. You're not going to come in here, and you're not going to destroy everything I've worked hard for. You're not going to take my kids out of church. Come on, you're not going to tear my marriage apart. Come on, somebody. I've got more to talk to than just the Lord. Let me have a word with the devil for a second. You're not going to destroy my mind. I'm not going back to drugs. I'm not going to backslide. I am going to live for God. I am going to pay my tithe. I am going to support the work of God. Come on, come on, come on. You can't have it. You can't have it. You can't have it. The world wants our kids. I'm sorry, you're not getting my kids. Come on, the news wants my fear. I'm sorry, you're not getting my fear. I'm not giving in to the world. I'm holding on to the things of God. I'm going to stand strong and I'm going to keep fighting, fighting, fighting against the darkness. Resilience, resilience, resilience. You may be seated. Not giving up not giving up because let me ask somebody has there ever been a time you felt like giving up but you held on just a little bit longer and God showed up come on there's some times you didn't see a way out but you just held on a little bit longer and God showed you while you were going through what you're going through you know the enemy fights the hardest when he knows you're the closest to getting what God has for you Brother Frost used to talk to me when I was a kid and I got in trouble a lot I skipped class and did stupid stuff all the time and Brother Frost was my pastor so uh, him and Sister Evie worked against me a lot. She was the, the informant, the whistleblower, and he was the chief justice. Um, but I remember he came to me and he said, Bryce, he said, you ever heard of train robbers before? And I said, yeah, I think I can get it, train robbers, yeah. He says, you know who they used to rob? He said, they knew exactly which trains had some valuable things in them, and those were the trains they attacked the most. He said, you know why you go through everything you're going through and you're fighting all this stuff? It's because the devil wants to steal your calling. The devil wants to steal your anointing. The devil wants to steal your future. And I listened to him, and I'm still here today. Let me tell you, the enemy's fighting against you because he knows there's a future that's anointed of God. The devil's fighting against you because he knows your marriage is powerful in the Holy Ghost. The devil's fighting your family because he doesn't want to see revival break out in your household, in your neighborhood, in your community. The reason you're fighting is because the devil knows there's value. The devil knows there's value. Why is the devil fighting the church? Because he knows there's value. Why is the devil fighting the ministry? Because he knows there's value. Why is the devil trying to destroy the young people, Brother CJ? Because he knows there's value. He's trying to get them addicted and bound in sin, but there's value and we're going to fight. We're going to fight. We're going to fight because there's value. There's value. There's value. You can't have these young people. You can't have these young marriages. You can't have the elders. You can't have the ministry. We're protecting the promise. We're protecting the promise. We're protecting the promises of God. Oh, let's lift up our voice and worship him. Come on, somebody. Young person, you've been in attack daily. It's because the devil knows that you've got power and authority over him. Your marriage has been attacked. It's because the devil knows there's power and authority on that marriage. The devil knows there's an anointing on that man of God. There's an anointing on that woman of God. There's an anointing on that youth group. There's an anointing on that church. Don't stop fighting. Keep going forward in Jesus' name. You may be seated. Thinking about things that set us back. 
We still got to move forward with resilience. Just thinking about 1 Kings 17, I won't read it. You can read it, 1 Kings chapter 17. It's about Elijah. Elijah's the prophet, Elijah the Tishbite. He comes seemingly out of nowhere. We don't even know who he is. He just kind of shows up. And he speaks a word to Ahab, the wicked king. And he says there's not going to be any rain. There's not going to be dew for these years, according, but according to my word. And then the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get hence and hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. So he goes, he preaches what God told him to preach. He did exactly what God wanted him to do. He didn't deviate, didn't do anything different. He did exactly what God wanted him to do. And then he tells him to go to the brook. And then it says in verse 5, so he went and did according to the word of the Lord. Did exactly what God wanted him to do. Again, no mistakes, no failures, no deviation from the plan of God's will. Did exactly what he was supposed to do. And it says he went and dwelt there. It says, and the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. So let me give you this scenario. God tells him to do everything. He does it exactly how God tells him to do it. And still, the, the situation that's affecting the whole world still happens to affect him. And the brook that God told him to go to and he was going to provide for him there dried up because of the drought that was on the earth. Well, let me just tell somebody. We say the pleasures of sin endure for a season, but sometimes the blessings only endure for a season. Sometimes good things come to a stop for no reason. We didn't sin. We didn't do anything wrong. Sometimes things in our life just dry up. Sometimes good health just dries up. Sometimes finances just dry up. Sometimes businesses and industries just dry up. And things change and we've got to find a new direction. I just want to tell somebody tonight, just keep going forward. Keep doing what you know to do. Even when the brook dries up. Even when things happen that you don't understand, keep going forward. So after that, what does God tell him to do? Elijah was the kind of person, he just kind of waited in one spot until God told him to go to the next place, and then he went to the next place. He just waited on God, waited on God, waited on God. After this, he says, go to Zarephath. And in Zarephath, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. And he shows up to this widow woman's house, just her and her child. And he goes to her and he says, hey, I need you to prepare me some food. And she says, all I've got left is a little bit of food, a little bit of oil. She said, this is our last meal, and then we're going to die. And Elijah looks at her and says, fear not. But give first, to, give first to the Lord. He said, and you shall have oil, you shall have meal without fail, and God will provide for you. But the power of that testimony to me is this. How did Elijah have the faith for somebody else to receive their miracle when his brook had just dried up? How do we have faith to pray for backsliders when our backsliders are still backslid? How do we have faith to, to worship and shout with those that are receiving the blessings when we're still not getting what we've been praying for? How do we have that kind of spirit? Oh, he told her, he said, fear not. I just want to tell somebody tonight, God knows what he's doing. Keep moving forward. Keep the testimony. Keep the faith. Keep fighting because something in the future, you're going to look back and say, I'm glad I never gave up. I'm glad I never threw in the towel. There's somebody like that widow, is there a path? Maybe one day in heaven that's going to look at us and say thank you for staying faithful to church I felt like giving up but brother Brian I saw you dancing and it encouraged me every time oh come on I saw the praise singers up here and it just reminded me of the goodness of God I saw my kids going to Sunday school and it just reminded me that there's some things worth fighting for keep going forward even if you're discouraged because you don't know who you're being a blessing to outside of your own knowledge your testimony may be somebody else's survival guide Somebody's looking at you wondering how they're going to make it through. And they say, well, if they did it, I can do it. They can still praise. I can still praise. They can still worship. I can still worship. Because God is good no matter what we go through. We go through a lot, church, that we don't understand. 
Quick poll. Raise your hand if you went through something you didn't understand. All right, there you go. For somebody that says everybody in this church is perfect. There you go. I remember my life, I, I got really sick. Um, I want to say six years ago. I, I lose track of the years now, but I think six years ago about, I got really sick. And I got really sick. And at that time, I was working with uh, Brother Mickey Powell. I was doing the ministry in the prisons on the weekend. We were doing, I think, three or four services a week. And then I was doing the Wednesday night Bible studies in men's home. And I was just trying to be active in the ministry. I was doing the new converts. And I was doing these Bible studies and taking people out to breakfast and all, all kinds of stuff like that. And I remember at that time, I got really, really sick. And I didn't want to go to the doctor. I was very afraid of what was going to happen because it's like, oh, you know, you don't want to get the worst news and you're kind of hoping it just goes away. And when you look it up on Google, I mean, you probably got 25 minutes to live according to what Google tells you. And so it's like, oh, man, you just get afraid and you don't, you kind of just want to avoid it. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody know what I'm talking about? You just kind of want to avoid it. Just want to leave it alone until it goes too far. And then they say, hey, if you would have came here a year ago, we could have worked with you. But now it's kind of too late. Got to cut your leg off. I'm just kidding. Um, but, you know. I just waited and I waited and I waited because I was afraid of what the results would be if I went to the doctor. I didn't want anybody to know. And I thought, well, I'll just get better. I got really bad pneumonia. I lost a lot of weight. I think I lost like 60 pounds, like two months. I wish I could do that again. Amen. <laughs> but uh, got really sick. I lost like 60 pounds in two months. I was just sick, really sick. A lot of symptoms, a lot of bad symptoms. And um, finally, what ended up happening was one time I started feeling a cramp. And it was kind of like in my arm, kind of like a, like a numbness and kind of like a cramp. And then I started feeling it in my face. And then my wife was just like, hey. You need to go to the doctor right now. This could be a stroke. This could be a lot of things. You need to go right now. And I remember Sean Pettis was working at the ER. He got us right in. And I remember just going through some, like, general stuff. And they were doing some general tests. And they said, well, we can't really figure out what this is. Can you give us any more info? And then I finally kind of gave them the full rundown. Like, okay, I'm going to tell you the truth now. It's this, 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 this. Okay, we're going to do a CAT scan of your whole spine. We're going to see what we can find. And when they did that CAT scan, they found out that I had a brain tumor in my brain that was affecting my entire body. And it was causing muscles to shut down. It was giving me diabetes insipidus. It was giving me all kinds of stuff. And I'll just tell you, at that time, I considered myself to be a faithful person. I was really active in ministry. I was really active in Bible studies. I was really active uh, preaching and all, all kinds of stuff. And I got that news. And it was like in that moment, I felt like I didn't have any faith. In that moment, I didn't say, oh, God of heaven and earth. Heal my body in Jesus' name. And then told the doctors to take the test again or something like that. I remember I just shook and I cried and I was afraid. Because the emergency room doctor wasn't the specialist. He didn't know exactly what it was. He didn't know exactly how it was affecting me. He couldn't give me anything except for what the scan showed. And there would be another doctor in the morning that would give me some further instructions. And I wish I could tell you that, that from that time forward, I mean, I just came and I prayed and I fasted and I ran the aisles and shouted and I took the, the next test and they told me that I didn't have to go and, and deal with it anymore because it was gone. I, I wish I could tell you because that's the ideal. The ideal is that God just works right away and we don't have to go through any struggles and we don't have to go through any processes and we don't have to keep getting our blood drawn every time. And for me, it was like six or seven vials and I hated it. And then I had to go to the doctors all the time. It was just annoying and I just got tired of it and I just kept going through it, going through it, going through it. And I remember my wife gave me an envelope. She said, hey, the ladies' ministry wanted you to have this. And I opened the envelope, boom, it's a, it's a calendar of the next few months and they're praying for me and fasting for me every day of the month. And I'm thinking, this is it. God's going to heal me. The ladies' ministry is praying. They're more spiritual than I am. This is going to happen now. Maybe it was my faith that was the problem, but their faith, I'm just going to hitch my wagon onto them, and there's going to be some miraculous healing. Just wait. But test after test, 
doctor visit after doctor visit. I still had to go forward with it. So, okay, you know, your body right now is too weak to have a surgery to remove this tumor. So, you know, we're going to have to strengthen your body up until you can have the surgery. And I'm thinking, God, do I really have to have the surgery? I'd come to the altar and I would just cry and I'd weep. God, do I really have to have the surgery? Can you just heal me, God? Can you just do something in my life? Can, can you just do what I've heard so many other people testify about? That this report says this and this report says that. And they hold them up and it's just a shout down service. That's what I wanted to have. That was the ideal. But the reality was that I had to keep going to the doctor, keep getting my CAT scan, keep getting my blood test, keep getting my results back. Until finally I, I went and I had to get scheduled for the surgery. I, again, again, I don't know exactly what year it was, but I remember going to the surgery. They just told me, they said, look, the way this, is, this has been there for your whole life, it's just gotten so big now that it's affecting. They said, and these things commonly uh, damage your body so much that the medicine you're taking right now, just to keep up, you're going to have to continue to take that medicine for the rest of your life. And it was like 15 pills a day for all the different things that I needed. So it's okay. So I went through that surgery. Went through that surgery. Got out of surgery. I recovered. Eight weeks later, I went to get my blood test. Every level in my body was back to normal, and I haven't taken the medicine since because God is faithful to his promises that will never leave you and will never forsake you. I don't know why I had to go through it, but I know that I wasn't going through it alone. I don't understand why I had to have brain surgery, but there was a God that was guiding the hands of the surgeon, and when we don't feel like God's involved, God is working behind the scenes. God is interested in your life. You can come to the music. I'm, I'm almost finished. Let's pray. Let's pray for just a few seconds. Is there somebody that's discouraged right now? You're going through a fearful time. You're going through a hopeless situation. You're wondering where in the world did God go? God, uh, all this faith and all this prayer, and I'm not seeing anything coming my way. Oh, come on, church. Let's lift up our voice for a moment. I'm almost finished. What are you going through tonight? Talking to somebody doesn't understand the uncertainties, doesn't understand the health. Just going to tell you right now how I envisioned this to be. This is going to be a healing service. After the end of this message, I want the ministry to line up around the front with the anointing oil ready. And we are going to pray the prayer of faith. Because I still believe that God's a healer. You say, but he didn't heal you. But I know he's a healer. Because his hand was on it even when I didn't think it was. And God's hand's on you even when you don't think it is. Genesis chapter 15, back to our first reading. God tells Abraham, first words out of his mouth, Genesis 15, fear not. Don't be afraid. Let's ask the question tonight, why would Abraham be afraid? Maybe he's afraid because of the eastern kings that he just fought against in Genesis 14 to rescue his nephew Lot. Maybe he's worried that they're going to go and find out where he is and seek after their revenge. That's an option. Maybe his fear is from being in the presence of the Lord. God's speaking to him, and he hears his voice. Scary. Maybe his fear was from being in the presence of the Lord, another good possibility. But what I see here tonight, based on what he says next, is that Abraham's greatest fear was the fear that God's promises will never come true. Has anybody ever been there before? God's promises will never come true. Waking up every morning. Expecting the same thing. Going to church every service, expecting the same thing, but not seeing any differences, not seeing any improvement, not seeing any change. Holding on to the, the promises of God. Your pastor told you, hey, keep praying. Keep being faithful. Your bishop told you, hey, just hold on. God's going to work it out. And you're, you're doing what the man of God said. And you're, you're trying to stay faithful to the things of God. And you have faith, but it's shaky because you don't see any results. God commanded Abram to leave his house and go to a land that he would show him. And Abraham obeyed him without question. Did exactly what God wanted him to do. 
When Abram and his wife were old, God promised them a son, and Abram believed God promised and waited for it to be fulfilled. And that time and time again, as we all stand, the promises of God in his life were being threatened. The promises of God were threatened in Genesis 12 when he gets to Canaan and there's a famine there. The promises of God is threatened when Abram lies about Sarah being his wife so the Egyptians won't kill him. The promise is threatened in Genesis 13 when Lot's herdmen and Abram's herdmen don't have enough room to stay together and one of them has to go their separate way. The promise is threatened when his nephew Lot is captured and he has to go rescue him. And the promise is threatened when more time passes by and he still doesn't have the son that God promised him. And in our lives, God's promises are still threatened in similar ways. God's promises in our life are threatened by outside influences. God's promises are threatened by our own inadequacies and insecurities, our feeling of being unqualified, maybe feeling unworthy. Our own fears and our own failures threaten God's promises. Our promises are threatened by the passing of time and our own impatience. When time keeps passing by and we're still left to wonder if things will ever change and if God will ever answer our prayers. Even after Genesis 15, Abram would wait another 14 years until Isaac was born. Tonight, if you're going to live for God, you're going to have a life full of waiting. It's going to be a life full of holding God's hand and trusting him to lead you where he wants you to go and to put you where he wants you to be. But Psalms 27, 14 says, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Psalms 37, 7, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. In Isaiah 40 and 31, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Oh, come on, God just wants to speak a word to somebody like he spoke to Abram. Fear not, for I am your shield, and I am your exceeding great reward. Oh, what does that mean? I'm your shield. I'm your defender. I'm fighting for you in battles that you don't even know about. And I'm defending you in ways that you would never even understand. And I'm your exceeding great reward. More than the promises, more than the blessings, more than the miracles, is to know the God who gave you the promise, the God that can work out the miracles. Brother Caden, if you would come, you asked me if I needed help. I said, no, I repent. I do need help. Come here, Brother Caden. Give me your jacket. You know, sometimes the, the promises of God on our life are threatened and attacked by different things. Things like doubt, things like discouragement, some things like the voice of the enemy that wants to come against us and try to steal our promise, steal our marriage, steal our future. Oh, I'm talking about the birds that came against Abram, the birds of doubt and the birds of discouragement, the birds of fear. But tonight, I've got a message for every bird that wants to steal my breakthrough. You're not welcome here. Get off my marriage. Get off my family. Get off my anointing. Come on, somebody. Get off of my faith. You told me God's not a healer. You're not welcome here. Get away because I'm protecting the promises. Come on. God has told you to commit or the enemy has told you to commit suicide, telling you you're not worthy to live. I'm fighting off that bird. I'm fighting off that bird. I'm fighting off that bird because there's still value on my life. There's still value. I haven't seen the promises come to pass, but I'm still fighting and I'm still protecting the promises that God gave me a long time ago. Right now, the ministry is going to make their way to the front. Is there anybody in this house that needs a healing? A physical healing? Is there anybody that needs a spiritual healing? Is there anybody that needs an emotional healing? 
You know, the Holy Ghost has all power to heal. The Holy Ghost has all power to restore. The Holy Ghost, Jesus said, the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. That's not just lost souls. You may have lost your mind, but God says, I'll get it back for you. Be renewed tonight. Be strengthened tonight, church. Come on, is there more? Let's make our way to the front. As close as we can get. What am I doing tonight? I'm protecting the promises. I'm going back to the same God that gave it because the same God that gave me the promise is able to perform it. Amen. Like now, let's begin to pray. Let's begin to pray. And let's pray with the prayer of faith. Come on, I'm talking about healing tonight. Healing of the mind. Healing of the soul. Healing of the broken heart. Oh, for somebody that's grieving. Somebody that's struggling. Somebody that's facing a dark season that you don't understand. There's healing. There's healing. There's healing in the house tonight. Come on, somebody. Protect the promises of God. Let's pray the prayer of faith. I believe it. I believe it. I believe it in Jesus' name. And he is your exceeding great reward. Come on, church. There's a breakthrough in the house. Deliverance in the house. Your mind can be restored. Your heart can be renewed. Your body can be healed. The Lord is still able to heal if you'll reach out in faith.